Word, I'm gonna say the word. In the beginning was the word. What? Word. 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 Was the word. From the studios of KJZZ in Phoenix, Arizona, welcome to Word, a podcast about literature in Arizona and the region. Here's your host, Tom Maxidon. Coming up on Word, a new kid's book approaches a bodily function in a fun way. I hope kids will be entertained and accidentally learn something, too. Plus, the former Associate Press Bureau Chief for Mexico and Central America has a stunning homage to the life of a heroic reporter. At that point, the country really was in what I call an epidemic of journalist killings. But in those days, it was nothing compared to now. But first... B.G. Hennessy is an Arizona author who's written dozens of children's books, and her latest focuses on where food comes from. Spoiler alert, it's not exactly the grocery store. We caught up to talk about a recent offering, This Little Farmer Went to Market, and how it's helping to fund early childhood programs by putting more books in the hands of kids. She began her writing career, interestingly enough, on the artistic side of publishing. I actually began my career in the art direction, book design, and uh, publishing. I was the art director at Viking Children's Books for a long time. And while I was there, I started writing children's books after I had our first child. We have three boys. And just got so fascinated with how they learned language. As far as this book, This Little Farmer Went to Market, you submitted that as part of a book manuscript contest. Is that right? I did. And um, I was delighted. I, I had been thinking about doing this project for a while. I've written, I think this is my 40th book, and I begin with a nursery rhyme or a version of a nursery rhyme and then take off. I either change the rhyme entirely or just kind of use that as the format. I love farmer's markets. My husband and I travel a great deal. And one of the things we like to do is we've discovered a great way to sort of meet local people and get a little flavor of either the city, the town, or the country you're in is to go to a farmer's market. And Kids today, most kids today, you go to the supermarket and if you want a strawberry, you just go to the supermarket. You want a banana, you go, you know, you you just go and everything is available to you. And I think they're kind of we're sort of losing the connection between, well, you know, bananas don't grow everywhere or strawberries or lettuce or anything. So that was part of my reasoning behind this book. But I also wanted to tie in the fact that in order for us to have all this deliciousness, somebody's got to do the work. (laughs) Your stories remind me of a couple of things. Number one, growing up as a child, my mom was an avid gardener and we always helped. And then Mm -hmm. also your story about bananas aren't grown everywhere. You know, when my mom was out last fall and uh, we went to the grocery store because, frankly, I didn't have hardly anything in my refrigerator, (laughs) she just remarked about how much produce we have. And she's from a small town in the Midwest, and there's Mm -hmm. basically two options for groceries there. And she said, gosh, you have so much lush produce. And I said, well... We have a pretty big trading partner right across the border with Mexico, and that's part of it. She loves avocados, for instance. But yeah, it is 
important for kids to know where our food comes from. And it also reminds me of another story in college. Um, Professor was teaching, uh, I believe it was a poem, Ripe Figs. And he just asked a general question, where do figs come from? And somebody raised their hand and they mentioned this grocery store chain. And he just got a chuckle out of it. And, yeah. and so I think that's right. You know, most people's connection to food is, well, I go to my local whatever store it might be, and, and they've got it for the most part, especially if you live in a bigger metropolitan area like yes. the Phoenix metro region. This particular book, This Little Farmer Went to Market, you know, you've mentioned about education and teaching young children, and you've hooked up with Southwest Human Development, which is one of the nation's largest nonprofits. And in fact, there's a mission behind that, and that is to put books into the hands of children. You know, the cost of living these days just seems to go up and up, and sometimes books are the last things that people think about buying. But there's an event coming up on November the 12th, and that's another reason why we wanted to talk to you. Southwest Human Development distributes over 115,000 books annually to children, and this book is part of that network. How did you get involved with that group? Well, I was familiar a little bit with their work because they are so well-known and well-respected in really the children's care field. They really oversee so many important aspects of childcare. But um, I had heard about their contest, but I think originally I said, well, I, I really like that idea. And I felt that this particular subject was a good match for what they do. I was pleased because when you submit to Southwest Human Development for this project, the manuscripts are all um, read by editors blind, which means, you know, they didn't know right. who I was. And so I was delighted when they picked it because I like to know that books are valued just on their own without anything else. So I was very delighted and I'm very proud that it's part of this project and it's going to really be in the hands of a lot of children, I hope. Barbara Hennessy is author of many books, and This Little Farmer Went to Market is what we've been spending some time talking about. She goes by B.G. Hennessy, and I want to thank you so much for coming to Word, Barbara. Oh, you're very welcome. It was a delight to be here. You can find out a bit more about B.G. Hennessy and the upcoming event featuring her work on our website, word.kjzz.org. Coming up, we move from where food comes from to how it's digested. That's the topic of another new children's book. I'm Tom Maxidon, and you're listening to Word. It's a podcast about literature in Arizona and the region. Football season is here, and that means tailgating time. If your tailgate doesn't function like it used to, consider donating that SUV or pickup to the KJZZ Vehicle Donation Program and support the programs you love. Find out more at cars.kjzz.org. Whether you spend rush hour in the car or in the kitchen, All Things Considered from KJZZ and NPR is there. Get up to date while you're getting home or getting dinner started. Listen to KJZZ between 3 and 6 on 91.5 or the mobile app. Welcome back to Word. I'm Tom Maxidon. Our next guest, Adam Rex, has a new book called Digestion the Musical. And if you're wondering how that might work on the page, we'll explore that in just a bit. But we started a recent convo with his connection to Arizona. I grew up in Moon Valley, actually. And then I moved to Tucson for school uh, around 91. 
um, left for a bit, went to Philadelphia for eight years, came back to Tucson and bought a house and put down roots. But I've spent most of my life in Arizona. Let's talk about this book, The Magic School Bus, Inside the Human Body Meets Hamilton is how it's described. Uh, It's a hilarious picture book about the most basic process of the human body, which is digesting food. Why is that funny? And I'm curious about that description because, of course, Hamilton is a musical. Well, so is my book, Digestion the Musical. It is a stage musical in picture book form. Uh, It is the story of a scrappy a little candy who just wants to get her big break inside the human body, inside the body. She's certain that she can make something of herself, something important, but she only meets naysayers at first. The mouth doesn't even want to let her in. The, the mouth says that she's junk, that, that she's <laughs> she's empty calories. She's tacky, but the tongue thinks that she has good taste. So she is begrudgingly swallowed. And then she starts sort of a hero's journey through the the human body, uh, which of course, it being a book about digestion, it it ends exactly the way you think it's going to. But along the way, I you know I have just like a musical, spoken bits and sections that are rhyming verse like lyrics, and I hope kids will be entertained and accidentally learn something too. Yeah, right. Because I mean, the point is that this is supposed to be fun, but also educational. What age is it aimed at? It's so funny about picture books. I I was just about to say, well, I wouldn't read it to a three-year-old, but maybe I would. Uh, You know, my illustrator, Laura Park, made these beautiful candy-colored illustrations of the human body. It's not visceral in any way. It's not disgusting. It's like the human body made out of blown glass and candy. It's, It's very pretty. And the thing about picture books is they can often have very sophisticated ideas and language and still enthrall the youngest children who just want to pour over the pictures. So that's a long meandering way to say that I think it's probably more for school-aged children. And picture books, in my opinion, don't really have upper age limits. I could see classrooms well into the fifth, sixth grade using a book like this. I think your point is well taken because even older children and young adults and regular adults, for instance, love graphic novels. Right. The popularity for many years in that particular genre has been there. The text has countless facts in this book about the human body, and it really teaches readers how the body works and includes all kinds of teachable moments. And there is a glossary so that folks can look upwards. You hope it also encourages kids to write as well. And and because of the humor, maybe even see that not all writing has to be serious. Yeah, I hope so. I mean, I feel like people talk a lot about what the lessons and morals of kids' books ought to be. And I'm not one of those people who actually thinks that every kid's book has to have a lesson, except one. I think every kid's book, the lesson ought to be, you love books. And the English language and any other language that a book happens to be printed in, it can surprise you and it can inspire you to maybe write as well. And this book is coming out later in October and I can't tell the future with any pinpoint accuracy, but I feel just based on experiences I've had with other books that I've published, I'm going to hear from teachers that are using this in the classroom that are getting their kids to write lyrics about other bodily systems. And, you know, I think kids are going to take to that 
because you're going to turn them loose on something that, you know, they can get a little gross if they want to. They can, <laughs> it's going to be a classroom exercise in the future. I feel certain of it. Adam Rex is author of the latest children's book. It's a picture book called Digestion, the musical with text as well. And it's illustrated by Laura Park. Adam, I want to thank you so much for coming to Word and talking to us briefly. It's been my pleasure, Tom. Thank you. You can find out a bit more about Adam Rex on our website, word.kjzz.org. Coming up, the heroic life of a female Mexican journalist is the topic of a new investigative work and biography. I'm Tom Maxidon, and you're listening to Word, a podcast about literature in Arizona and the region. Did you know two out of every three NPR listeners prefer to purchase products and services from public radio sponsors? You can see the benefits of becoming a KJZZ corporate sponsor at sponsor.kjzz.org. KJZZ is your source for news and analysis. We would all love to have everything mitigated by the next monsoon season. That is not possible. The program has been helping Phoenix residents with housing and utility costs. While the passing of the Inflation Reduction Act was helpful, more work needs to be done to meet climate objectives. KJZZ is the Valley's news leader. Listen to KJZZ on air, online, and on your phone. Welcome back to Word. I'm Tom Maxidon. Later this month, Catherine Corcoran will release In the Mouth of the Wolf. It's about the heroic efforts of a female journalist to speak truth to power and how she paid the ultimate price for doing so. Corcoran was the Associated Press Bureau Chief for Mexico and Central America for several years. I was in Mexico a total of nine years with the Associated Press, and initially I worked as an editor for the whole Latin America region. And then uh, for For my final five years, I was the bureau chief for Mexico, Central America. And um, at the end of five years, the AP really wants you to move around. Um, So there's that's kind of the maximum assignment for a bureau chief in one area is five years. And so at the end of five years, I decided that uh, I had some fellowship opportunities and I decided that I wanted to write a book. And so I left the AP to do various dense uh, fellowships, teaching and working on my book. I grew up in this business. My dad was a broadcast journalist for 23 years before finally getting out and actually changing careers. And I can't say that I always thought that I'd follow in his footsteps. But did you always want to be a journalist? And did that start from a love of reading or how did that begin? I grew up really loving writing. I, that was always my form of expression. And, um, but hadn't really thought about turning that into a career until I got into college. So um, I guess like every journalist, I made a community newspaper when I was in the third grade, <laughs> maybe the fifth, cool. maybe the fifth grade. I don't remember, but my friend and I made a community newspaper, but that wasn't, I didn't really think that's what I wanted to do. I actually thought, because I did love to read, I actually thought I'd, I'd want to write novels. And so, um, so then when I got into college and I didn't really know what I wanted to do and just sort of fell into going to the student newspaper and getting an assignment. And I, was hooked from that moment on. And I thought, well, this is the way I can write every day and hopefully make a living of it. 
Your new book, In the Mouth of the Wolf, Murder, a Cover-Up, and the True Cost of Silencing the Press is out this month. It explores the power of the free press and the threat to it, really, especially in Mexico. I mean, we have two reporters based in Aramisio. We hear about journalists being murdered all the time in that country, and it's really a cautionary tale, this book, about the death of a legendary journalist. Maybe you could describe who that journalist is because she faced retaliation and ultimately was murdered. Yes, her name was Regina Martinez. She was found beaten and strangled to death in her bathroom in April of 2012. And her death immediately was a watershed for all journalists in Mexico, including us as as foreign journalists, because at that point, the country really was in what I call an epidemic of journalist killings. But in those days, it was nothing compared to now. I mean, it would be five, six, seven journalists a year, which I thought was outrageous for a democracy, not at war. And now we have 13 or more so far this year, and it's only October. So the problem has only gotten worse. But at the time when she was killed, it was just coming up as being kind of a constant thing. And what the government would always tell us, us being the Associated Press or the Foreign Press, is that the people who were killed weren't real journalists. They were corrupt. They were being paid by various interests, by drug cartels, and they somehow got crossways with the people they were supposed to be serving. And so they did something wrong if they got killed. And they would specifically say to us, these aren't journalists like you are journalists, you know, from the U.S. having standards and ethics and and balance and all those kinds of things. And we really didn't know. Clearly, there were some cases like that. But because none of these murders were ever investigated, they were kind of labeled corrupt and end of story. We didn't really know. And so then when Rahina was murdered, we all knew that was a case where she was clearly silenced for her work. And she had a long career. She started reporting in the 1980s of speaking truth to power, number one, and number two, giving a voice to communities that in those days, the press just simply didn't cover. She was really a standout, particularly for a reporter working outside of Mexico City, where the press tended to be more professional. And for a local reporter working in the state to have those kinds of standards and to stand up to power like that, she really was unique for her time. And so she did all kinds of stories about indigenous communities, poor people, farm workers, laborers, all the things that they were up against that never made the news because the news was very official and the news was very much in line with the ruling party as Mexico was ruled for 71 years by one party, one authoritarian party. And so the press just kind of went in lockstep for the most part. And she really stood up to these powers and she was known for that. One of her more famous stories that actually got her a national profile was that she went up against the Mexican military and the president over a cover-up of a case where some soldiers were suspected of brutally raping an indigenous elderly woman, and the woman died from the attack. 
And the initial autopsy supported the fact that she had suffered this attack and sexual assault. And then the government came in and completely changed the story and said she died of natural causes. And so Rahina was dogged and wrote constant stories showing the sort of the holes and the discrepancy and the cover up. And in Mexico in those days, there was a saying that said there were three untouchables in Mexico, the military, the president and the Virgin of Guadalupe. And so she went after two untouchables and she really made a profile for herself doing that. But whereas in the United States, if she did something like that, she'd probably win some prizes. There might be some reaction, some change or reform. That kind of work for her and Veracruz at that time basically put a target on her back. It, she was not celebrated. It was quite the opposite. And it ended up being a death sentence for doing that kind of journalism. And I think that's one of the biggest things that struck me about her story is that if she were reporting in the United States, she would have probably won some prizes and had some successes. And there, this story about the indigenous woman who'd been raped and murdered, her local newspaper wouldn't even print the stories because they were too controversial. And the publication that printed them was Proceso, the National Investigative Magazine, which that was their purpose. And they printed stories like that all the time. You know, one of the things that also strikes me is I'm just so curious and encapsulated by your description is... Of course, it's difficult when you're an investigative reporter, no matter what. But I also get the indication that if she were a man reporting, that person would not have suffered the same fate. That's a really good observation. Because, I mean, an additional factor was that she was a woman. She was a very small stature. She was of indigenous roots herself. Her mother was Totonac, which is an indigenous group from the northern part of Veracruz. And she wasn't the profile of person at that time either who would study at a university, who would go on to be a journalist and who would have this kind of um, tenacity to speak to the powers that be. Um, Because again, Mexico was very tightly ruled when she started her career. And also women were not in positions of power. And so I think you're absolutely right. And I asked people at times in my reporting, because the political class there, which was mostly male, if not all male, really had issues with her. They called her the uncomfortable reporter because she was always writing about things they didn't want people to see. And they really had issues with her. And I said at some point, to some people, do you think part of it was because she was a woman? And they said, absolutely. Catherine Corcoran is author of In the Mouth of the Wolf. It's a true crime story subtitled Murder, a Cover-Up, and the True Cost of Silencing the Press. Catherine, thank you so much for coming to Word and talking to us about this important work. Well, thank you very much for having me. You can find out a bit more about In the Mouth of the Wolf by Catherine Corcoran on our website, word.kjzz.org. The book is out later this month, and she'll be appearing at Poison Pen in Scottsdale on October the 25th. I'm Tom Maxidon, and thanks so much for listening. Word. Word? Word. Was the word.
Thanks for listening to Word, a podcast about literature in Arizona and the region. You can find all episodes online at word.kjzz.org or wherever you get your podcasts.